welcome back to the podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. On this episode, I am overjoyed to reintroduce you to former guest Sabrina Joy Stevens. The earlier episode that Sabrina was on has received some of the most feedback that any of the podcast episodes have received. I've had so many listeners reach out to say how much they appreciated that conversation and how deeply inspired they left feeling after listening to it. So it is, again, a great honor to get some time with Sabrina Joy Stevens again. I'll let you know right here at the top of the episode that um, you can find so many links over there in the show notes to connect with Sabrina Joy Stevens to find out more about her offerings and trainings. I also just want to mention, while we were speaking, um, I had referenced a term body-mind, and in the moment, I couldn't remember where I learned that term from. I believe quite firmly in citing folks who teach us, uh, and so I spent some time reflecting. The term body-mind was one that was introduced to me by Dr. Shida Kafai in her book, Crip Kinship. So again, um, a shout-out to that book and to that author for introducing that concept to me. We'll talk more about that later on. Enjoy this conversation with Sabrina Joy Stevens. Listeners, I am so excited to bring you this conversation. It's actually a follow-up conversation with former guest Sabrina Joy Stevens, who is the founder of Sabajoy Creative Solutions, a boutique social change consultancy that is dedicated to catalyzing personal and collective liberation. You've spent really the last two decades organizing, advocating for human and civil rights. We had so many listeners reach out the last time we chatted to talk about how your insight, um, how your wisdom really resonated with them. So I'm so happy to have you back again. And listeners, I should just sort of say, um, I mean, not that I need an excuse to invite you back, but the perfect excuse kind of uh, came through following you online where you were sharing that um, kind of these um, really mysterious, interesting (laughs) Um, about participation that you were doing in some digital organizing um, training work. So I'm wondering, I feel like this is an asking for a friend kind of question. Can you give (laughs) us um, the 101 on what digital organizing is and and why it's relevant to the work that you do? Uh, Thank you so much, Tricia. And thank you for having me back again. It's it's really a pleasure. So just to give like a quick uh, dirty definition of digital organizing. So organizing super, super overview, right, is basically it's the, you know, the process of us built, you know, either within the context of our existing relationships or, you know, building new ones, developing the kinds of relationships that help people help people move to action, right? So we can't do anything just by ourselves, right? Systems of inequality, oppression did not create themselves. And so they're not going to replace themselves with better things, right? So we intentionally are doing things that are helping us build the kind of relationships we need to move people toward actions that are gonna help make our society, our communities, our families, et cetera, better. Digital organizing is just us bringing, you know, doing a lot of that same stuff into digital spaces, right? So we're using digital tools to uh, achieve those same types of outcomes, right? We're trying to deepen relationships, we're trying to inform people, we're trying to help people understand how things got to be the way they are, what they can do about it, right? So again, we're still doing the same thing of like, here's how we're, you know, building or deepening relationships in ways that move people to action. And it's just the 
practice of using digital tools to help with that. The reason digital organizing is so relevant to the work I do is it actually really is a lot um, or that a lot of the core of the work I do. Really, the work I do is about teaching people how to um, cultivate and use their power. Um, but one of the ways that I have done that, particularly over the last over the last like 12 years, um, has been primarily in digital spaces. And so that is really central to the, a lot of the communications work that I do and helping people navigate those spaces effectively. And then particularly um, as we look at like this very specific current moment um, and the, uh, what's been happening particularly over the past few years um, and how mis and disinformation in particular have become such a prevalent issue um, in digital spaces, a lot of what we're working on now is not just how do you use digital tools to do regular organizing work, but also how are you doing that in ways that are helping to um, neutralize or even you know, sort of flip on their head the effects of people who are using these tools specifically to undermine trust, to undermine people's ability to connect with each other in ways that help them take uh, helpful, you know, positive, forward moving action. Thank you so much for, for giving us that context. And I, I love that idea of connecting the digital tools with also helping folks perceive or better perceive the influence that they can have. And that again, this is all part of a system. So we have to come about doing this by building relationships with others. Um, you know, I, I love how that relationship building seems to underpin a lot of the work that you do. Uh, and listeners, I'll also just say right here at the top that all of the links that we're going to refer to will be over there in the show notes. So um, when you are feeling inspired to reach out to Sabrina Joy Stevens, um, hopefully this podcast makes it a little easier for you to do that. You offer a training titled Rapid Response Reboot, and I was hoping you might talk a bit about the context um, of that and how that training and your framework were developed. And also, sorry to make this like a five-part question, <laughs> how you identified um, the need that that training is going to pair up with? Sure. Um, so um, all of my trainings, you know, meet different types of advocates' needs. So most of them are for pretty much anybody who's trying to make any kind of a positive difference on any issue. Um, Rapid Response Reboot in particular is really targeted at folks who are either working, you know, in an organization or in, a, you know, grassroots movements. So, so folks who basically, if you're ever in a situation where something, something big happens in the world, and you're somebody who is responsible to make a comment on it because other people are expecting to hear from you or you're expected to take some sort of action because it's relevant to the type of organizing that you're doing. Um, basically, rapid response in those moments is like, okay, what do we do in this moment? There's breaking news. There's either a threat or an opportunity that has just emerged and we need to take some kind of action, right? So what are we going to do? And so the the need that I saw is that having worked in these spaces, so I've, you know, 20 plus years ago now, so it's going to be 21 this September, um, is when I first got into like grassroots movement building type work, right? Um, and then once I left the classrooms, you know, decading change later, um, and was starting to work in grassroots organizations, labor unions, uh, you know, civil rights organizations, places where there is like a, a comms team, a group of people who are like responsible for communicating the perspectives, the issues of, of whatever the group is. 
there's a consistent problem that I've seen every place I've tried to do this, whether it was the tiniest little grassroots upstart movement all the way to some of the largest organizations um, in the United States. And I now hear echoes of this as I do um, trainings, you know, in other countries around the world. Yep, we're struggling with this too. But basically, despite even, you know, having sort of well-established opponents, certain well-established issues that they know they're going to talk about a lot of the time, these moments come up. So maybe news breaks, right? There's a new... Uh, bill has, you know, been introduced in the state house or Congress or wherever, or, um, you know, some person has taken some sort of action that's really noticeable, or there's a, something's trending, right? And it's something on our issue is trending. And now everybody's talking about it. In those moments, a lot of times, people immediately start scrambling, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And, and so then that had becomes like a really, um, that becomes a moment where there's a ton of opportunity, right? The reason why rapid response moments, what we call rapid response moments are so crucial is because they can be huge opportunities to promote your cause if maybe you're trying to get attention and you haven't had it. Um, maybe they are um, just really just consequential for whatever it is that you're doing. Either way, there's a moment that happens, you've got to do something about it. And people are like, I don't know what to do, right? So then they're spending time trying to make the decision about what to do. Then they're spending time trying to make the decision about who's going to do it. Then they're trying to spend time actually doing the things. And so, you know, we know we're dealing in a, in a news cycle that's, you know, we used to have days, weeks even to make news on something. We used to have this amount of time, whereas now between social media and the 24 hour news cycle on cable, et cetera, you don't have time to just be sitting like, oh, well, what are we going to do about this? Who should say something? What should they say? people are spending a lot of time on that process and what we you know what i've seen again from tiny grassroots um, movements all the way through major national you know in in some cases international organizations what ends up happening is that in those moments which come up very frequently now right because now we it's not just the news that you know or official news outlets that break news that cause things to happen things can pop off on social media, things can happen anywhere. And so there's constantly these opportunities slash threats. And so the more people have to deal with that kind of intrusion on their, their kind of planned work, right? Because rapid response is not like, okay, on every, you know, Tuesday at four, we have a standing appointment where we're going to interrupt everything you try to do. And we're going to do this other thing and said, that's just now going to, you know, command your attention. So because we don't know when it's going to happen, all that sort of stuff, every time that happens, not only are people then, you know, kind of stopping what they're doing, turning their attention away from whatever it is that they're trying to cause in the world and toward whatever this interruption is. But then, you know, in the course of every single decision that has to be made of the process, are we going to do something about this? What are we going to do about this? Who is going to do what about this? What, you know, every point in that process, in addition to just having stress around, oh, we got to do this work, there's also all these opportunities for conflict, right? If this is a thing that's consistently happening all the time, um, as I've seen in many organizations, and particularly when we're dealing with, again, really fraught times, politically uh, divisive times, lots of things happening constantly, right? When people are put in that position over and over and over again, that undermines morale. It tires people out because it's not as though you have like, oh, I have my little rapid response body that I put on. I have a whole new mind, a whole new tank of energy. And I'm going to do all my like interruption things over here while regular me is still doing all the stuff that I was already, you know, was already on my to-do list. Right. So all of that creates sort of really 
you know, repeated problems in a lot of organizations. And so seeing that that's a consistent pattern, um, seeing that pattern of, of burnout, seeing the way it contributes to lots of the other issues that communications teams and organizations have, I was like, we don't need to keep doing this. The other thing that, um, that really inspired me to make this into a, um, a training was that I was just constantly coaching uh, clients on it. And so I'm like, I can, you know, and I'm the sort of uh, consultant trainer, et cetera, who I'm like, I'm not here just to like drum up business for myself. Like my real commitment is to give people the skills, the tools, the mindset that they need in order to take, you know, important actions right where they are. So I don't want to put myself or put other people in a position where they're, um, you know, where I'm constantly charging people to create a whole brand new thing when it's like, actually, this is stuff you can do, right? You already know, because if you look at these organizations, if you look at these grassroots you know, groups of folks, nine times out of 10, they already know who the likely people are who are going to be the ones who create a situation that you know, occasions a rapid response moment. They know what it is that they're trying to do already. They know what it is that they're trying to say, even if they, you know, a lot of what I, the bulk of my training really helps people um, figure out how to say what it is they're trying to say. But if that very minimum, they know what they're trying to accomplish, right? You know all that, then you can start to make some decisions in advance about what are you gonna do you know, first of all, what's inbounds versus what's not, right? What are you going to do? Who's going to be responsible? You can start making some of those decisions in advance and creating processes and protocols so that you're not surprised every single time this thing happens, right? And so that you've already made some choices so that instead of doing the back and forth bickering, now you're actually like, okay, we've already decided this is the sort of thing. This is the kind of thing we respond to. Here's who's responsible for what. Here's some, you know, stuff we've already got prepared. Like, so that way people are not doing starting from scratch every single time, stuff that they could really have, you know, again, even if the thing is unexpected, the particulars of each incident can be different. A lot of times it's not completely out of the blue. It's not totally um, unpredictable, unforeseeable. And so it's really just a, a space to help people understand how to do that, what they need in order to, to quickly and consistently respond well in these kinds of situations. So that rather than you know, oh, I'm over here and then I got interrupted and now I'm over here. My focus is completely, uh, you know, pulled away from what I'm trying to do. It, I, it allows folks to then actually think about, okay, wait a minute, I've got this interruption. How do I, you know, based on the decisions I've already made, here's what I can do about it. Here's who's doing what. And now I know how to actually integrate this interruption into the work I was already trying to do. So rather than it becoming an, a distraction from the work, which is a, is, is, this is a tactic, right? So one of the ways that bad actors um, really do tire out their opponents, right? The, the rest of us is that they just constantly wear us out with like, oh, let me just, you know, throw something in there, distract them. Let, let me throw something at them to throw them off their game, right? So the more we're able to do that, the more we're like, oh, you tried to knock me off my game, but actually you just gave me another opportunity to say what I was already planning to say. And you've got a lot more people paying attention while I do it, right? So it's really about teaching people how to take these things, which can really be a huge derailing and a driver of burnout in many organizations into um, a, a way of a consistently getting opportunities and actually using those moments to grow your following, to grow your community um, and to raise awareness of what it is that you're trying to do. I really appreciate that framing of it's not just a threat, it's also an opportunity. And to your point about just the speed and the pace and the relentlessness of it, um, I mean, it sort of boggles my mind how whenever there is a 
you know, a, a big news event, how even brands like fast food brands, you know, are getting into the conversation now. Um, and I, I just, I really appreciate that idea of if we prepare for this, we will have the confidence to leverage it as an opportunity. So again, the link to the rapid response re reboot training is over there in the show, no show, ugh, show notes, show notes. Um, Sabrina, some learning that I've been doing this summer, it connects actually to another podcast that I, I kind of can't be quiet about. It's hosted by <laughs> Bridget Todd. It's called There Are No Girls on the Internet. It's just really my my latest, most favored podcast. I, I uh, really I'm going to tell her that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. If you know her, please do tell her that. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I just like... That's, that's very exciting. Yeah, I, I love, love, love that podcast. So as you know already, you know, it looks at the intersection of our digital lives and issues that are in the headlines. She's had a few episodes um, on what I guess I would call digital strategy and how certain bad actors can coordinate spread disinformation. I know you offer training that also seeks to counter disinformation. And I'm just kind of curious to hear from you about whose voices or you know, experiences are, are shaping your thinking around that or who some more of your Bridget Todd's are. But now I know like literally Bridget Todd is one of your Bridget Todd's. Um, just again, some of the, the thought leaders on dis and misinformation who you really think are great for other folks to uh, to watch and tap into. Yeah, so definitely love Bridget. Uh, she's a friend and is someone who um, I, whose work I absolutely love. She's someone who, um, you know, constantly kind of crossing paths with um, in this type of work. Uh, so definitely uh, second that recommendation. Um, another uh, friend and professional who I just really, really love, um, who does a lot of really um, good work on this is Melissa Ryan. Um, so she um, she does a number of things. She's, you know, long time, again, political, uh, you know, expert. She's somebody who's worked on lots of campaigns and things like that. And now she um, she runs a newsletter um, or publishes a newsletter called Control Alt Right Delete. Um, and she also she does you know you can follow her to at melissa ryan she's um really really great resource um to just get a sense of like what are people particularly um she has a specific focus on like what are far right um you know extremists the folks who are organizing in places like 4chan etc um i uh sometimes joke she you know is kind of like you know and there's there's a number of i'll, I'll uh, note a few more in a, in a moment but there are some folks who i feel like do the sort of the really nasty work of like you know, combing the bowels of the internet to see the very worst of it. Um, so the rest of us don't have to. Um, and so I definitely deeply appreciate how people, you know, follow, support that work. That's really um, important. I think it's, um, it's, you know, I don't think that everybody, and I think there's sort of a, a trend right now among philanthropists and other folks to kind of be like, oh, we need a disinformation researcher at every organization. No, we don't. Um, we need to really support the folks who are already doing this work, give them, you know, bring in more people, you know, into those organizations, into those spaces so that folks, they can have the support they need, the time off they need. I feel like anybody who's like looking at 4chan boards for a living should be working about like their halftime should be full time, right? Like, you know, and, and give them some teammates so that they can share that work and have lots of time off and other things that they need to replenish them, their spirits and minds, because that is bleak work. Um, but so, uh, you know, I definitely highly recommend her work. There are some groups I really love, like Data and Society. Um, there, the shot and um, the Shore and Scene Center, excuse me, um, at uh, the Harvard Kennedy School is another great resource. I've learned a lot from folks that I've worked alongside there and on um, campaigns and 
and organizations. Um, so there are a lot of places to kind of just get, you know, some information about sort of trends and things like that. I also really recommend if people are particularly like really interested in this and where it fits into their particular work, their community, um, more and more there are like community groups, listservs, things like that, where you can share information. Um, if there's not something like that on your issues and you're really, 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 really interested in it, um, it may be worth starting something, but I would caution um, against trying to kind of go it alone. Um, you, in order to, and this is one of the reasons why I do the, the trainings that I do. So I'm not a person who's gonna necessarily train you. I'm like, here is how you comb the dark web or, you know, here's how, like, that's not my kind of training, right? What I am helping is the, the most of us who do not do that research all the time and who don't, um, you know, who, whose job it is not necessarily to like monitor and do those kinds of interventions. But for those of us who are out in the world every day, talking to people in our schools, in our businesses, in our churches, you know, wherever we are, um, and particularly those of us who are advocating for, for causes, um, helping us speak, act, present our ideas in better ways. Because the most important thing for most of us, right, folks who are not necessarily doing you know, disinformation research and stuff every single day. What's most important for us to fight disinformation is to be better communicators, right? Like the reason why mis and disinformation has taken, um, can take hold in so many people's minds is because bad actors are exploiting gaps in the narratives that we tell in order to misinform people, in order to mislead people. And so if we're doing a better job of sharing um, the kinds of content that actually helps people make sense of the world. If we're deepening those relationships, so we've got, you know, really healthy reserves of trust, because again, we can't all research everything for ourselves. We can't all know everything for ourselves to know this is true, this is not. So we have to at least have some level of trust with other people who we could say, okay, I don't follow, you know, X issue super closely, it's not my area of expertise, but my friend who is an expert in that, I trust her, right? So you've got to be able to figure out how to do that. And then within the things that we really are expert in, the things that are our responsibility, that we're doing the best possible job, presenting that in the best possible light, um, helping people understand what's really going on so that they're not so vulnerable to the unethical, manipulative stories that um, bad actors are spreading and telling. I love that advice. Um, you know, and again, it's one of those things where, yes, you know, knowing when to say this is not necessarily like my best lane is a, is a very good thing to, to practice as well. So thank you so much. Um, we'll make sure that your recommendations are over there in the show notes too. I would love to just sort of touch base on a post that you shared. I'm going to quote your your social media back to you, so bear with me. Um, you wrote, quote, logging onto social media without setting clear intentions for what you're doing here is like going to the store hungry without a list. You're going to end up with a bunch of shit you don't need, end quote. Um, that thought really resonated with me for a variety of reasons. Um, I have literally gone to the store without a list and then oh, yes. uh, that's not a thing. <laughs> Um, can you expand on what logging into social media intentionally means for you? What does it look and feel like? Sure. Um, so for me, the first thing and the reason why I think some folks, you know, they, they hear me on a thing, they see me on a panel and then they go to my social media and they're like, all right, I'm going to follow this girl. I'm like, right now, I don't really post that much, <laughs> but here's why. Um, so I am very, you know, I go through 
you know, seasons where I'm doing different things with social media, but in general, I am always trying to be really intentional about how I approach social media, partially because I was a digital strategist for a long time, not being intentional about how I actually engaged with the platforms. I was very intentional about what I was communicating. I was very intentional about the, you know, word choice campaigns, blah, blah, blah. But I was not, you know, very intentional about how I actually engaged on the platforms. And I was starting to realize like, oh, that's part of why this is starting to be more stressful, taking up more of my time than I want. Um, and especially again, now that we are dealing, you know, as um, platforms get, you know, increase in size as there are more, you know, again, mis and disinformation attacks. Like this is pri this is really a site where a lot of the informational warfare we're experiencing right now is really playing out. And so it's even more, it's always been important to be really thoughtful about how, why you're doing anything, right? But it's especially important to be really thoughtful and proactive in social media spaces. They are literally designed to be emotionally addictive. They are literally designed to pull in as much of your attention as possible for the benefit of advertisers. But now that has also been exploited by political bad actors, right? And so if you're not making a choice beforehand, how am I gonna use this platform? For what reason? Why? Every single time you're getting on there, then you are at the mercy of infinite scroll. You are at the mercy of not being able to see exactly how much time you've spent and it feels like, oh, I'm just going to go on Instagram for five minutes. And three hours later, you've bought how many pairs of leggings and you've seen how many other people's lives that are making you feel insecure. And you're kind of freaked out because there's some new political thing going on that you didn't even know about. And now you're terrified. Right. And so that's what I mean by, you know, getting ended up with a bunch of shit you don't need. Right. I went on here because I kind of just like, I don't know, it's just, you know, the socialized little thing that I've been taught to do now by my phone box. And then you know, end up coming home with, oof, I'm kind of traumatized because I was scrolling and I saw police violence that I wasn't expecting to have to, you know, look at, or I saw, you know, news. So you want to really be really proactive because again, it's designed to hook you in, right? Every time you get that little like that's designed to give you a dopamine hit that keeps you on the platform, right? So for me, being intentional about social media um, boils down to primarily three things so that I teach this in trainings too. Um, one, you need to set boundaries. Two, you need to set, or you need to set intentions. That's always first, right? You always start with why. Anything you're doing, always start with why, right? So start with your intentions, right? Set some intentions, setting boundaries and setting limits. So setting intentions for me, it looks like I will, before I go onto a, a platform like Twitter, for example, I will say to myself, I am getting on here to scan the trending topics, to see what people are talking about today, to see if I need to change any of the schedule content I've you know, put up for clients, right? I'm saying that to myself because if I, if I do that, I've at least given, one, I've made a decision, and two, I've like, you know, given myself a little aural reminder of like, this is why I'm here. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, even doing that, I don't necessarily get sucked into like, oh, you know, what all is that? You know, this, but at least I've given myself a little bit of a fighting chance, right? I'm, I'm here for a reason. I'm going to try to honor that reason. Setting boundaries. So again, and I'm big on pre-deciding, right? In the rapid response, I feel like that's like the emerging theme. Decide in advance what you're trying to do in most situations. Um, but so with boundaries, you're really thinking about what am I going to engage with? What am I not going to engage with? Right. So if again, if I set an intention, I'm here just to scan what's going on, then the boundary that's going to go along with that is, and I'm not going to comment on 
you know, random posts I see, right? I'm not gonna reply to people right now. I'm literally just scanning the trending topics, right? So I've set a boundary for myself. I'm not replying. I'm not, you know, looking at other things. I'm going to that little trending page to see what's, you know, what's trending in the areas that I'm concerned about right now. And then setting limits. So I, on all my devices, um, I have, uh, I set timer or time limits on the amount of time I spend on social media. Um, I set limits on like when I will engage with, with things like social media. So for example, I do not, it is not, I'm not one of these people who like, as soon as I wake up, I open my email, I open social media. Like for me, that first time in the morning is sacred. I spend it with God. I spend it with my family. I do not spend it decide, you know, letting the algorithm set my tone, the tone for my day. Right. Um, likewise, right before I go to bed, I do not want the last thing I'm thinking about before I fall asleep to be whatever Yahoo is like saying on social media, right? Like I want to be, you know, to have that time intentionally blocked off for me to wind down, for me to like, you know, figure out what I need to do for the next day, get myself set up and then be able to actually slip into deep rest rather than staying up all night because look at what all is happening, right? So I set some limits in those, in those ways. And then with all of that together, that's just helping, that's giving me um, more of a chance to stand up against, you know, the manipulation that's baked into these algorithms, right? Again, they're trying to get me on there scrolling as long as possible. My goal is just get the information I need, the connections I need, the, the communications I need, right? So I want to make sure I'm keeping my, my goals front and center. And then I also want to give myself enough time and space to make good decisions. One of the things that we see constantly in terms of mis and disinformation, right, is there's only a small number of bad actors who really invested in making it impossible for the rest of us to have good faith conversations across lines of disagreement and difference, right? And so they've got to trick the rest of us into doing a lot of their dirty work for them in order to succeed. And so the more we are intentional about what it is we're saying so that we're kind of in helping inoculate each other against their, their false information, but then also the more um, disciplined we are about what we are taking in, then we're giving them fewer opportunities to manipulate us because we can't possibly, if you just sit, you know, and I used to, before I had, especially before I had um, kids and before I had like, you know, just a real sense of like how much of my time was getting sucked up by these things. Um, you know, you can, I, there were days where I would spend upwards of four or five, six, especially if this is part of your job, right? If you're somebody who works in these fields and that's the other big impetus behind this is I, I really, I treat my own work um, doing, spending lots of time on social media as an occupational hazard, because it is, right? This is, there are real lived impacts to your mental health, to your emotional well-being, to your relationships, et cetera. And so um, if we're not careful and we're spending four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, more hours a day in these spaces, think about how much information is coming at you, right? If every single little bit, you know, every post, every video, every, that is a ton, a ton, a ton of information. And we take for granted because it's so snackable, right? It's like if you, you know, we're eating like the entire Costco box full of individually packaged chips, right? Like one of those is not that big of a deal too, not to, but if you ate that whole thing all day, you would feel like crap, right? And likewise, when we're taking in tons and tons of information and we're not giving ourselves intentional breaks, right? Even when I set those time limits, if I set, I usually do it like it's a 15 minute max. And then after that, I have to re-ask myself, you know, my more responsible pre-self, you know, for permission to keep going. If you're not taking those moments to stop 
think about how, how are you going to fact check every post you come across if you've been online for hours, right? How are you going to decide for yourself? Do I really, you know, is this important information for me or not, right? If you're constantly just inundated with and you're just letting it wash over you, right? You don't have time. And so if you want to actually be able to be thoughtful about these are the types of things I actually want to share and engage with. This is what I want to be taking up real estate in my brain. These are the kinds of notifications I want people to be reminding me of, right? Then you've got to make some decisions in advance so that you're not just out there, you know, taking in more than you can possibly make good decisions with. I love that. And, you know, again, your words were in the back of my mind so many times when, you know, I was logging onto Twitter and it was like, what am I here for? What's on my list? And I was like, doom scrolling. And yes, exactly. it would be like, close the app. I don't need to doom scroll now. But then, I mean, the reality of the world we live in is sort of, okay, I kind of do need to or slash feel compelled to. Um, and that idea of, okay, so for how long is going to be something that doesn't drain all of my energy and render me, you know, incapable with doing other things or being, you know, a good friend, a good member within my family. Um, and I really, I appreciate what you said about if we're inundated with it, we're not going to have the energy to counter. We're not going to have the energy to do the real work and how quickly it can become a massive time suck really resonates. Um, another podcast that I work with, the Shifting Our Schools podcast, we recently had educator Tyler Rablin on, uh, who was on to discuss a post that he wrote for Ed Surge that was all about cell phones in the classroom, how he manages that as a high school teacher, and that he was having students share with him, quite honestly, that they were online sometimes for 13, 14, 15 hours a day. Um, and, you know, when he would ask them, how does that make you feel? Like, not great. I do want to do something about it. And I love how you've just modeled how we can reflect, how we can experiment and try things out and why we need to share that with the young folks in our life who, you know, again, may not have had that other experience with big blocks of time offline to understand also what that feels like. I appreciated that Tyler had pointed out for him, he can tap into I knew what it was like, you know, to not have social media for right. a very long time and reckoning with the reality that for today's teenagers, they really haven't had that as an experience to sort of counterbalance it with. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, just kind of goes in tandem with that is, you know, how important it is to really be intentional about the, the day, right? I think, especially when I think about young folks, you know, as much as possible, helping them fill their time with other things, because a lot of times, you know, what, what, you know, the platform uh, creators, what phone, you know, program folks who are actually making these devices and these products, um, you know, they, one of the places where they really get, make most of their, get most of your attention, which by the way, is money for them, right? Every click of yours, every stare of yours, right? Like literally worth more than oil. And we all know how bad, you know, high gas prices are like, and so they're the, uh, the big place where they really play is those those free moments right how many of us are scrolling on the toilet right how many of us are, it's like it's those moments when you don't have anything else and so as much as possible helping young folks be with their friends be in you know sports and what you know arts whatever the things are so that they're having these like really rich generative experiences because it is so easy if you don't have that to fritter away hours. And this is really, this is especially, it, it really does concern me what's happening to young folks' brains um, when you're not getting those really core social experiences and just really rich 
you know, real-time feedback, facial expressions, all that kind of stuff. But then you're replacing it with these, again, intentionally addictive, uh, like really, and then now really saturated with, with, with negative problematic content, um, because that is, it's so easy for it to scale because people very quickly, you know, anything that makes people react and people tend to react more to negative things that is going, you know, algorithms are optimized to continue to spread that because people are so, uh, reactive to it. So yeah, super important. And that goes alongside, you know, like planning your day goes alongside with like figuring out how are you going to set those limits? How are you going to set those boundaries? How are you going to, um, you know, and again, starting with those intentions. Thank you again for that. It's a, it's a really good kind of frame um, to be thinking about really every single day. Sabrina, the last time you were on the podcast, you talked a lot about focusing on our networks, building capacity, having hope, finding joy. And I feel like we, we need those things now than you know we did even the last time that we spoke. I'm wondering within the past year, if you might speak to us a bit about what has, have been a few sources for your joy and for your hope. Um, I mean, ultimate source for me is, is my faith, right? Like I, you know, that is really central and, and key for me. Um, and I think from that, you know, that's really how I, um, you know, get a lot of direction and how I, you know, and, and just so much satisfaction from that, that then spills over into every other part of my life. Um, I feel like for me, just again, really getting clear on like who my most important people are, right? Making sure that I'm loving them well um, and just really being present as much as possible with them. There's so much when we really just learn to like, you know, even just in those simple moments, like every single time I'm playing with my son, I feel the like, even when on days when I'm tired, I feel the little like jolts of energy that I get from just being around a young person, being with someone I love, right? Uh, you know, spending time with my dog, like doing things with my hands, that's huge for me. Um, and I think that's a really key one just because there's so much, again, because we've kind of been socialized to be in this very passive consumer kind of role, whether it's politically or economically, um, there's, you know, we kind of lose track of like, oh, I can make things, right? Um, something that really kept me going, especially, you know, the earliest, points of the pandemic when people were like panicking and, you know, kind of what do we do politically? What do we do uh, socially? What, what do we do? What do we do? And I was like, I'm doing stuff with my, you know, like that for me is that reminder, you know, when I grow things, you know, in my little gardens, I live in a row house and I, you know, managed to make, you know, grow a fair amount of stuff. I, uh, you know, make, I knit, I you know, just, constantly like finding ways to be creative. And one of the reasons I love that one is because a lot of the work I do is very like, you know, when I'm teaching, like when I'm organizing, all that stuff is really long-term, but like I can make a whole loaf of bread <laughs> in a couple hours, start to finish, see a thing. Right. Um, but it also reminds me that I'm capable of making things right. We're not just consumers who have to like, just hope for, you know, expect the best, you know, possible thing from like other people who make decisions or other people who make products, other people who make things. Right. Um, the more I remind myself, I was like kind of constantly in meetings of looking out of my garden, looking out on, you know, the people that I like actually have like, you know, in some cases, my son, like I literally made him. Right. And so just reminding myself, I can make stuff. I'm not beholden to, you know, the political, whatever that is happening in, you know, in DC here in the United States, but like I can actually, we can really do things, right. We forget the ground beneath our feet. And the fact that like once upon a time, the earth, we like, we had everything, we already have everything we need. And we're kind of like walling it off from each other for these like weird economic and other reasons. 
And when we remember like, oh yeah, there's like just kind of core basic stuff that we can do and we can figure out ways to work within systems. But we also remember that these systems did not always exist, that we existed before the systems. And hopefully if we get our stuff together, get our you know skills organizing, et cetera, together, we will exist after them. I think a lot of times we kind of get an idea of this is what a perfect society would look like. And then here's all the policies you have to pass in order to get it. And if we don't do that, then everything is lost. And it's like, nope, actually, let's look back at like, what do we actually need to live satisfying lives? And what, as much as possible, trying to do those little things as much as I can every day. And then be like, okay, that's actually helping me turn my attention toward, okay, here's actually where I need to organize more. And maybe I don't need to care so much about this thing. If I remember, okay, well, people really just need to do this, then that actually gives me different ideas about how I can approach social problems. And so like all of this stuff goes together, right? Like if I'm doing the things that, you know, fill my, my soul, my spirit that are making me feel or connecting me to my natural power, my natural, you know, gifts, relationships, all the things that we're, you know, already have then that gives me the energy to think, okay, and so how do I protect that for folks, you know, whose access to that is at risk, right? How do I, you know, what are the things I need to look for, for people who may not have the same types of privileges so that we can dismantle whatever those barriers are to the real things that matter, rather than kind of getting in our heads and thinking, this is what it, what we need in order to, right? And so just like that daily practice of doing things that matter helps me then focus my work on things that matter. I, I love that so much. And I, I'm drawing a blank on who coined this term, but it's a term that I've been thinking about a lot, just body mind. So not separating mm -hmm. out like our mental well-being from our physical well-being. And as you said, just really tapping into what does it mean to have like a tactile relationship with what I'm doing? I love that so much. And the power in, yeah, like what it means to, okay, I've made this thing as like a confidence builder and an analogy for building and networking and just continuing to see I am an individual who is capable of making and seeing a thing through, as you say, from start to finish. There's so much power in that. Um, you know, and I, I love your bread analogy. My, my wife and I earlier in the year got caught into the cycle where we were both so busy that neither one of us really had time to like cook a proper meal and it had been so long you know, we were just having so many like ready-made things or, you know, delivery. And mm -hmm. uh, we finally got kind of almost like grossed out by that. And I was like, oh, all right, I need an intermediary. Like I still feel like I'm pressed for time, but we kind of baby stepped back into it by doing like those home meal kits. So it was like, I'm still gonna cook this thing. And it really was the bridge back into, it is so much nicer to, you know, take that time away, that time I didn't think I had, really just force myself to take the time, make the meal, as you say, prioritize family. It was so important. Um, and it's amazing to me. It seems like it's easier than ever before to lose sight of that. Um, but that yeah. we, we just need to keep, again, reminding ourselves ultimately what are our priorities and the hard stuff really isn't possible if our batteries aren't charged anyway. 
Absolutely. And so much of what we think we need to do is just coming from, again, like we're just thinking about it versus like the, it's sort of organically emerging from the real relationships where we're dealing with the real like stuff of life right in front of us. And that's where a lot of our power is, is from just the, the, the things that are naturally emerging in our lives, the people who are right in front of us, the land that is right in front of us. Right. And so, yeah, definitely. And, and the thing is, it's like, we do that. It's naturally really joyful it's naturally like it's it's hard not to have hope when you're actually watching a thing grow right when you're seeing the process start to finish of like this was a you know a rotten piece of grass and now it is flowers and food like you know like it's it's really empowering and likewise when you're doing that stuff you're not scrolling doom scrolling on social media you know messages that in many cases were literally tested to demoralize you to motivate people who are trying to do bad things in the world right it's that opportunity cost am i filling my time with things that remind me that i'm powerful that i'm connected to people who matter who care about me who i care about um or am i in doing stuff that is making me feel powerless that is cutting me off from the sources of my sustenance, of my, you know, thriving. That's, you know, for me, that's just the perfect note to end on. And that's a really great check-in, I think, to come back to, you know, we've got like half of the summer left, more or less. So I'm just going to keep kind of checking in with that because it's a, it's, it's maybe the most essential choice really that we can make for ourselves and our loved ones. So thank you so much again for sharing your insight. Um, again, every time I speak to you, I, I leave a conversation just feeling more hopeful. So I appreciate that so much. Love it. Thank you so much. And thanks again for having me.